Today in Parent Time, we talk all things play school, Justine Clark and Alex Paps with the musical extraordinaire Peter Dacent on Benny Asking People Questions. Okay, so today I'm joined by a gentleman who, well, despite probably not knowing his name or maybe not really recognising his face, has potentially, via your children, been the only musical force present in the last decade of your lives. He's the man at the piano, tirelessly finding new ways to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star for the presenters on Play School, and also the writer of all Justin Clark's award-winning tunes. It is a pleasure to be joined today by the one and only Peter Dacent. Thank you. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, just straight off the bat, I like to sing Gold Album. Was that about, was about six months ago? Yeah, uh, it was Platinum actually. Was which it? Is, yeah, it was a Platinum. So that I, I like to sing was Platinum, which is like 70,000 copies or something, and then Songs to Make You Smile, which was the second one. That was Gold. So, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, that's um, that was quite a surprise and quite pleasing. Is it? Is What does that mean? Does it mean anything professionally or personally or is it just something that's nice to bring up at a dinner table? Oh, it, it, it means that lots of people keep buying the album. So that's a very nice thought that 70,000 people have, you know, 70,000 four-year-olds have listened to I Like to Sing. It's, uh, it's, it's, that's a great enough fe- until the album was bought. <laughs> that's a great feeling. Yeah. You know. Um surprised at all or uh well, yes and no. I mean, it has been successful. You know, I'm very pleased that it's um continuing to sell. I mean, I think it's really good. I think it's you know, we aim to make a very high quality album when we started it. You know, we wanted it to be um we wanted proper songs, you know, with you know the the classic pop structures yeah. um and good musicians playing and we sort of aimed it as i mean it's definitely a kids album but it's also a, an album for families by that i mean you can put it on in the car and the adults won't be talking over the top of it and Screaming because they hate it. They're actually listening too, and they're hearing some. They're hearing the musicianship. They're enjoying the music. Um, they're hearing things in the lyrics that maybe, you know, bypass the kids. Um, and everybody can sing along and have a good time. And actually, you know, that situation in say in a car is probably the only time when families get together and listen to music. So, and this was totally borne out or totally came from my own experience with my kids, where one of the great pleasures on, um, you know, those long trips, car trips for family holidays, we used to put on the Beatles' White Album and and we all enjoyed it, you know. Yeah. And th- there's lots of songs on that album that are really great for kids, you know. Have you seen The Little Piggies, Blackbird Singing in the Dead of Night? All kids can relate to that, and um, and with our kids, you know, our kids are in the sort of slightly weird position of, um, you know, finding it very amusing when anybody says number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, because they heard this on there, on uh, you know, car trips on holidays. Probably went to sleep to it actually. So, so obviously, I mean, the musicianship. I do want to come back to that, but um. You're saying it was obviously quite a conscious decision. Like you, you, you. Is it one of those things that you sort of looked at the the landscape of children's music and thought there kind of needs to be a little bit of an upheaval? Well, um, what happened was um, my well-meaning parents gave our kids um, these cassettes of music, especially for children, and they were just really bad. There's no question about it they were just nursery rhymes done with horrible synthesizer sounds and I just didn't want to have them on and then somebody gave us a cassette of some other children's music and um, I just really disliked it and I went what's going on here and I actually went down to the local CD shop when there still was one in Bondi and this was when 
my oldest two kids were like four and three or something and I bought Rubber Soul and Revolver by the mm. Beatles and, you know, I I gave one to the the girl and one to the boy, I can't remember which, and it was like that scene in um, Crocodile Dundee, you know. <laughs> you want songs? These are songs, These are song. you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and then um, one of my co-writers, Arthur Basting, he had written started or started writing songs for his kids when they were little because he's a poet and a writer. He's always writing lyrics. And I just started um, working for Play School and that's where I obviously met Justine Clark. And so all those things sort of combined. You know, there was this thing of um, I'm not impressed with a lot of the kids' music that's around. Um, I'm starting to write them myself and meeting Justine who was such a – I thought she was just such a fantastic um, performer of children's songs. This is on Play School. I mean the way she can deliver a song, whether it's Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or I Like to Sing, you, you're just totally engaged by her. And I just thought I'll get her to do some – demos of these songs and I asked her I didn't really know her very well and she immediately said yes I'll do them so so that's that's when it started um so yeah like I say it was a combination of of was three or four different aspects of music and children's music sort of coming together so you had uh, let's just talk about play school for the moment because I was going to ask if if this working on play school was a mm. bit of a catalyst, and also it gave you pretty good guidance on you know making children's songs. Play school. How did how did that actually happen? How did you end up on play school? Oh, I'd um, worked on another um, children's show um, at the ABC as a kind of musical director, and the producer of that was the producer of Play School. And as part of my being musical director and teaching the presenters songs, I was playing the piano in the studio. So that she knew I could play the piano and they were looking for someone. So she just rang me up out of the blue one day and said, help, we're desperate for a piano player mm. for Play School. Can you come and try try out? You know? <laughs> we're desperate because so, no one in the country has ever thought about uh, doing it. 15, 15 years later, <laughs> I'm still there. There's a bear in there chair as well There are people with games and stories to tell Open wide Come inside It's Play School How, how does an episode for you, how does an episode of Play School kind of start and finish? Where does it begin and, and right up to the actual filming? For me, I just I get the rehearsal script about a week before we rehearse it. But before that, um, yeah, there's an early childhood advisor on every episode who does um, an outline and then the script writers write the script and it goes through various editing processes. Um, and that's the point where the songs are chosen. So I don't have any input into what songs are chosen normally I don't. Sometimes I get commissioned to write new ones. You know, they'll be doing a series. They did a series a couple of years ago called Messy and they wanted a song about being messy. So we wrote a, we wrote a song called Messy. I mean, my understanding is the show is, is pretty heavily dictated by the early childhood concepts and I'm wondering how much of that is also put on to what you do. I mean, do you have... Free reign in terms of they're pretty happy to let you do what you do, or do you ever have someone leaning over you and go, "Oh no, look, you know, we really no. need this because this is how a child will see it." Or hear no, it. no, they never say that. Um, I mean, I think I have a pretty good understanding of what is, what will work and what won't work. I mean, I, I just I think I have an instinctive understanding of it. The, the only thing, uh, the only time I get pulled up is, um, uh, I get asked to slow the tempo down. <laughs> yeah right. Um, but as far as probably the, not by the presenters though, yeah, just usually no, by oh, the, no, not by the by presenters. The no, it's the director or the <laughs> advisor. Um, I mean, I you know, I have I can make choices about um, 
rhythm, rhythm and accompaniment and and harm, you know harmonic choices and stylistic things. Um, and generally, people seem to be happy with. I did. With, I was listening with, with to an episode. I, I was listening to an episode the other day, and I and I forgive me because I can't remember which one it was, but I did. Because I'm so conscious of it now, listening to you yeah. play along, and I did notice at one stage, it almost was like you were just now kind of having a bit of a you were just entertaining yourself, really. Like it was, it all really worked. But I was just, I was listening. Was to this going, accompanying a song or accompanying well, a no, story? Well, no, it was. But then it was kind of obviously there was a there was a bleed between maybe potentially two verses or into another song, and oh, yeah. I heard us going. I just think Peter's kind of gone. Oh, I've got thirty seconds here. That kind oh, of I was probably having. I was probably enjoying around. myself. Yeah, I mean, I do enjoy it. You know, I do have a good time, and I'm aware of. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't want to play, um, chuck, um, chuck, um, chuck, um, chuck. You know, I don't want to sound like, you know, um, easy Mozart for beginners or mm. something. So, I I try and bring in different styles, and you know, sometimes I. Say, how would, um, you know, what would um, Randy Newman play, you know, if he was accompanying the song or what would Dr. John play or, right. you know, just to just to get myself, you know, off on a different sort of path, you know. With the stomp, I stomp, I boogie-oogie-oogie with the stomp, I stomp, I boogie-oogie-oogie with the stomp, I stomp, I boogie-oogie. Is that you just... Because you feel it needs that, or is yeah, that you I, kind of entertaining yourself? No, I feel I feel that that will work. I mean, you know, we might have just done a very straight up and down umpa song. Uh, the other thing that I should say is that some of the presenters are better singers than others. So if I'm accompanying someone who's been a had a career as a professional singer, yeah, sure, of course, um, I don't have to play the melody, so I can be more inventive mm. with the accompaniment. With some of the singers who aren't so confident, you'll hear that I play the melody yeah, sure. very strictly and that helps them. Because ultimately what I'm doing is making the presenters sound good, you know. Well, Which not making them but helping them to sound yeah. good rather. Um, you know, that's my job. Um, and if I can enjoy it and have fun and, and the piano sounds, you know, interesting... Mm then great. Is, are you the only one or is there like a whole swag of you all hanging out in of piano players. bars <laughs> waiting for the call? Um, I'm the only one who's done it um, for the last 10 years yeah. maybe. Um, I mean, you know, there have been a couple of um, emergencies when I haven't been able to do it for one reason or another and mm. I've pulled in other people from somewhere. Was it from playing on play school that you kind of started penning your own individual songs that inevitably ended up being with Justine or was that already happening? Um, I suppose because I was on play school, I was very aware of children's music, yeah. So, um, I mean, actually those songs that we first demoed with Justine, I thought oh, I'll offer them to play school. You know, I just thought yeah, right. I'll get Justine to sing them so they can hear a play school presenter singing them. So we did half a dozen and I gave them to the producer and she said, oh, no, I don't think these are suitable for play school. And so then I said to Justine, why don't we record an album of these? And she said, yes, I'd love to. So that's how it came about. And the irony is that once the album came out and yeah, they, they became very popular school. and I have to say <laughs> play school developed over the years, yeah. now a lot of those songs are used on play school. I mean, I like to sing as... Hmm. You know, is often on play school. Do you think with the play school thing, yes, because your songs are becoming, I mean, I've noticed they're, they're much more yeah. regular on the show. I yeah. mean, I do also think with play school, going back to that early childhood thing, one of the big things about kids is about the familiarity and the and the and the oh, yeah. recognizing things. And I think because Justine stuff has now permeated into just early childhood culture has become, I mean, just so many children know those songs yeah, it's almost they, they become like children it's, it's children's time, standard children's it's standards time to or bring them into the show because yeah. kids know them i mean at the time we when we first presented them to play school there was a very conservative culture on on the show you know they 
they'd rather do Twinkle Twinkle Little Star than than entertain the idea of a new song. Whereas it's different now, as are lots of things. You know, Play School has evolved in all sorts of ways, as well as with the music. Were you nervous at all? Because it's a big, it's a big deal that show. Well, the first time I did it, yeah, it was. Um, you know, I had to go to a script meeting and I played an electric keyboard there and they checked me out and they told me what was required and all this kind of stuff. And then the first show I recorded, I remember distinctly that all the crew, like all the cameramen and the sound, especially the sound guys, they came up to me afterwards and said, that was fantastic piano playing. And I went, what? <laughs> and I said, why? And they said... Because you didn't play, you didn't belt the piano, you didn't yeah. play it really loud. And apparently, they had people, pianists on play school, who got overwhelmed by the Steinway Grand in front of them and thought they had to sort of play, you know, great big chords and make as much noise as possible. Whereas I'd done enough um, gigs as a professional musician backing singers yeah, sure. to know that much more your, nature your, your job is to. Is to like I said before, help the singer sound as 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 good as they can. I mean, that's completely obvious to me. So, I had some kind of instinct for it. I think, yeah. you know, it was it was kind of a, a natural thing for me. In the same way that when actors audition for play school, you can tell within thirty seconds who is going to be good. You know, if someone's got got what it takes. It's it's really really obvious, and I've done I've been pianist on lots and lots of auditions, and mm. so for example, you know you don't want me to mention names, but the but yeah the, totally but, mention them. No, oh, no, no. <laughs> I mean the people that have become mainstays of play school in yeah. the last you know five or six years, say when they did their auditions, it was completely obvious that mm. they were a natural. Yeah, and so you know I think it's. Um, you know, as as a as a musician, I think I had I had that. You know, it is very true. I mean, I think I think like you're talking about that instinct. I guess uh, how to behave to and around and for children. I do think. I think it is an instinct, and I don't think it is in everyone. And I think mm. children's music is a, is an incredibly classic example yeah. of that. You've got to play. You've got to play really, really simply, and. Um, that can be hard, hmm. you know, because you can play simply and be creative hmm. and musical. You, you don't have to be simplistic or, yeah, sure. or, or compromise your art or anything by playing a simple major triad. You know, it's, um, you, have to, you have to take it seriously. Do you still look forward to it after 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I'm in there tomorrow doing, the, doing a studio record tomorrow and Friday, so yeah, I look forward to that. It'll be fun. Um, one total tech geek question: mm. They don't mic it, do they? It just sits in the corner and it's picked up on the. No, on no, the, it's mic'd. It is mic'd. It's recorded on a separate track. Piano's recorded on a separate track, um, but and and then it's also played through the studio monitors for the presenters to hear. Okay. So obviously, uh, you know. If I were to make a mistake, we'd have to go back and start again. Sure. Um, Does that happen happen often? Uh, it's not with I. Te- I mean, I don't want a big note myself, but I <laughs> Me pride never. myself on not having to do that. Um, I have a couple of times. I, you know, I've got confused about. I haven't. Oh, I actually haven't put in enough. Um, the, the good thing with a lot time of to the re- time to the rehearse to yeah. the rehearsal process. You know, I haven't been clear about it. The good thing about um, a lot of particularly traditional children's music is they generally all just kind of melt themselves around the same three chords. So if you do ever get really stuck, you can just kind of yeah. fall back into them. Um, I'm sure it's quite fascinating for a lot of people at home, the uh, type of mics that are used on the piano. So we'll, we'll leave that one there and move on. Let's move on to Justine. Did you, she obviously has done a lot of jazz singing. Yeah. Prior to any of this, did you know any of this at the time, or was that just a I'd bit seen, of a thing I'd, you found out afterwards? I'd seen her singing in a um, in a club. I hadn't actually seen her on play school. I mean, by the time I started doing play school, my youngest child was five. So, and 
we really didn't watch it very much. We didn't. Have, we didn't. We didn't have much. We didn't <laughs> have much. Cut to the chase. No one does watch it unless they have a child between three to five. We didn't. Um, <laughs> we didn't have much TV on in our house. Yeah. And also, I mean, I didn't grow up with play school. I grew up in New Zealand, right? So we didn't, yeah, because it's a different version of play school over well, there, I never, isn't it? Well, I never even saw it in New Zealand. Mm. I mean, my family didn't get a television set till I was fifteen, mm. so I never watched children's television. Yeah, I didn't catch anyway. up on past episodes of play school at fifteen. <laughs> um, so it didn't hold it didn't hold the sort of aura that it does sure. for um, Australian people. You know, it was it was never that sort of wow. I'm on play school. It really yeah. didn't have that. It, Whereas. Um, you know, it, it does for literally for generations of Australians. Well, the, the you know, there's now great great grandmothers who mm. can rem- remember watching Play School when they were little in it's, the 60s and 70s. Uh, I, I'm led to believe that the Australian version of Play School, which apparently is quite different to the UK version, which is very similar to the New Zealand version, is the Australian Play School is the second longest running children's yeah. program of all time. Yeah, that's right. And I think. I, I'm guessing Sesame Street was probably out. I, can't, uh, I don't even know what it was up against. No, I think it was something called Blue Peter. Was the yeah, right. British BBC program okay. called Blue Peter? Yeah. So I mean, it, it is. It's got enormous history. It has enormous history. Yeah. That's what I was saying before about being the piano player. Like, it's a bit like the person who is. Um, uh, Humphrey B. Bear. Yeah. So always this enigma that everyone knows is there that's a bit off camera and the person playing the piano in play school is always off camera but there's that person playing. Who is yeah. that person? Yeah. And it is a big deal. Um, moving on from that, with Justine's music, mm. can you just fill me in a little bit on Arthur Basting and your relationship with him and I believe you can even go right back to the crocodiles. Uh, yeah, well, I met Arthur in the late 70s Um he was a stand-up comedian at the time. Was it really? Yeah, but he, <laughs> but he was also a songwriter. And um, was he very funny, or was songwriting far? Oh no, his he's a, no, he's, he was. He he had a very funny act. Um, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, apart from liking him as a person, it was great for me to meet someone who wrote lyrics but didn't write music. I, I mean, he. He does sort of write music, but in his own particular way. Um, but basically, he's a lyricist, and I'm basically a, a mu- musician. So that was a good. That's a good comment. You know, it's like mm. Elton John and Bernie Taupin or something yep. like that. You know. Um, so yeah, we wrote songs for the, a pop band called the Crocodiles that I was in in New Zealand. This was 1980, um, and then a, a whole bunch of us moved to Australia. In the in the early eighties, and Arthur and I continued to write songs, but um, we never really had an outlet for them. Um, but when this kids thing came along, um, it was it was perfect for us because we both we both had young kids or had had young young kids and wanted to write children's songs, and um, so our songwriting sort of flourished from from then. Um, and um, it's kept going. Have you just never had the confidence to write lyrics or you just think it's... I've got nothing to say. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Seriously. I'm, I'm, I have ideas. I, I think of titles. Yep. I think of... Um, I'm quite good at helping out with the second verse and the bridge. Um, I'm very fussy about lyrics. I want them to be... I want every word to be right. Um, but... You know, my um, skill, such as it is, is in writing melodies and mm. arrangements. And Where does Justine come into it with the songs? At what point does she become involved? Um, usually when we've got a pretty well-completed song. Um, and she will often have ideas about... Um, I mean, she's got to feel comfortable singing them. So she has ideas about what will, what lyrics she doesn't feel comfortable with, and has suggestions for what will work. A couple of times we've gone to her and said, "We've got this idea for a song, but we don't know where to take it." So she's contributed into uh, in that sense and got a song finished where 
whereas we we would have abandoned it. Sure. Um, so yeah, so far she's come in later in the process. Um, I mean, she keeps saying she wants to be more involved in the creative process. Mm. And in fact, yesterday we just had a meeting about a new album that we're going to do called... Um, can I just say that everyone heard it here first? Uh, yeah, 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 you can. <laughs> um, and that's going to be called Lullabies and Sleep Time Songs. And can I also say that that's the first time you've announced that <laughs> live? Anyway, so she's got a song that... Just an idea of a song that she used to sing to her yep. youngest son and so I'm encouraging her to keep, you know, keep going with that. Um, so hopefully, you know, you'll... Uh, that will get that will be finished. It might not, but I I hope it does because yeah. it's a good idea. But in general, she's come in, um, like I said, l- later in the process yep. and sort of finessed the songs so that she, as a performer, can present can them. Comfortable. With the, the, she can feel comfortable yep. with them, and and I mean, often she she just comes up with a lyric line that's perfect. Mm. You know, that's much better than what what we. Had in the first place. So with with Arthur and also Justine, take us through from go to woe the writing of one full song. And I don't know, let's say, for example, let's use, you know, one of the greatest children's songs that's ever been written that, uh, you know, border so close on perfection, humanity barely deserves it, Watermelon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Watermelon was written in Arthur's house in Auckland in New Zealand and I picked up an acoustic guitar and I was just playing this sort of rhythm on the guitar. Whenever I'm in New Zealand, I tend to play, you know, there's what's known as the Maori strum, which is a kind of country Dom checker, dom checker. But this was more. It was a more sort of calypso y thing, I suppose. Um, and I just. And I, then I sang that melody. What? What? I, I just came up with the word mm. watermelon. Watermelon, watermelon. And um, Arthur had gone out of the room, and I came back, and I was singing watermelon, watermelon. And he said, That's good. I can't remember how it sure. how it went from there. I think I had I Love You Love Watermelon because it's such a stupidly simple line yeah. that only me would have come up with it. <laughs> but Arthur definitely came up with um, um, Spit Out the Pips, Lick Your Lips, all that stuff. That's yep. all Arthur's. Uh, the Pineapple Versus, his, The Bridges, His, Pears mm. and Peaches, I like them the most. You know, all that was his. Well, that was written pretty quickly. Mm. Um, that was very early days. Um, did you, I mean, this is a bit of a cliche question, but did you have any idea at that time just how <laughs> inconceivably popular that song oh, would no, become? Of course not. No. No, no. I knew did you ever I, think I, in the 70s that one day you would write a song entirely about watermelon <laughs> that would become that popular? <laughs> um, no, no idea at all. I mean, I knew it was good. Mm. I thought this is a good one. Mm. This is the. You know, because sometimes you start a song and you go, I'm not sure about this. Is this going to work? And you thrash it out and mm. you thrash it out and then you throw it out. You know, and as a songwriter, that's um, a really good thing to be able to do. I love you, love Have you ever been convinced to keep a particular one that's turned out to be something you're really proud of? Well, I mean, as I said, a couple of songs I've gone to Justine and said, I don't know if this is working. Um, there's a song called Scoot on My Scooter, which I think is on the third album. Yep. That was one of those, you know. Um, I mean, I think I had the beginning of it and we just went, has this got legs, you know, can this work? And she liked it, mm. you know. I mean, she heard it as a – I think for Justine, she often thinks about the performance side of them. Yep. You know, will this work as a as a performance? And she could hear that that that, that would. You That's know. off the Great Big World yeah. album, isn't it? Yeah. And I, just on that album, because I think that's 
toward the end. It's sort of in the last five or something, isn't it, that song? It's that album, I've just got a note here. The, la- the last sort of group of songs, Hibiscus, My Shadow and Me, How Many Stars, The Softest Song of All. Yeah. I mean, these, these are really, I don't know if they're necessarily as, Overtly catchy as some of the other stuff, but they're, no, they're, they're much, incredibly sophisticated. They're, they're much more. They're much more sophisticated. That's true. Really, really amazing. Um, the one in particular, "My Shadow and Me." Yeah, the horns and the harmonies in that song are. I mean, I, I was kind of well, that was that, blown away by that. I mean, that was that was. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I think particularly on a kids' album, which is, goes back to what you were talking about before about actually, I guess, respecting children and giving them this stuff, like you're saying, that's. You know, why can't they listen to Revolver and White Album and yeah. things like that? Well, I mean, that's sort of like an, a, a swing tune from the 40s mm. or something. And, um, I mean, I know Justine loves that kind of, that style of music, so I knew she'd sing it really well. And um, it just seemed obvious to me to have those kind of horn mm. lines on it. And, I mean, I think that's actually one of the more straightforward songs. My shadow, she goes away Come back, shadow. Come back, shadow. The the the, the ones like um, uh, a couple of the others that you mentioned, the slower ones like um, the softer song of all. Yeah, the softer song of all, and the how many star. I mean, yeah. how many stars is very sophisticated. Mm. But Justine loved it. She said, "No, I'm going to do this because mm. I really like it, and I can deliver it." If you know, if she'd said, "Look, I think this is too." Um, you know, not right for the audience. Um, I would, I would have said that's fine. I you think, know? I think that's kind of the thing that makes a lot of the music that you do, that you and Arthur do with Justine, m- makes it successful. But I also think, particularly for the parents as well, yes, yeah. you know, you sneak these little ones in in all the albums. They have these little bits and pieces yeah. that you drop in there. And look, uh, you know, again, going back to the kids thing, I mean, the reality of children is they don't only ever hear kids' music when they walk out the door. They hear well, that's things on right. Radio, they hear things all over the place. There's music everywhere. That's right. And it's never going to be that simple stuff. And that's right. The, the, the other thing to point out about um, this is, I mean, like how many stars you would never do that on play school. And there's a difference between what you do on play school with a song, as far as songs go, and what you do on an album. And the difference is that, first of all, play school is a visual medium. So, you know, you'll know how important it is for kids to have actions to do and then to have the same tune but different words and different actions. You know, the classic one is if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, shout hooray. That is the perfect play school song. Um, It's great to watch it, to to sing along, to see it presented in a different way. Um, So I think you can do something you know, with that knowledge that hopefully it's going to get played over and over again. Obviously, as you're saying, there's a very different sensibility with play school. Do you find yourself having to really shut all that away when you move into Justine or Alex Papp's world or do you kind of incorporate it or do you really just go, I'm going to do my own thing, that's a whole different thing or does it seep in there? Um, I think we use play school actually in like talk between verses you know, like like play school will often have an invitation. You know, you sing a verse and then you say, come on, you sing too. Sure. Um, and both Justine and Alex are really good at improvising that kind of thing. And it gives a song um, a connection with the audience, I think, if the singer just says one of those asides to mm. on the recording. Um the lyrics in Justine's. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that she or you all sing about that is quite inclusive. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we do. Yeah, I think that trying to be inclusive that's something that we take from play school that we like a lot of we know is important. Yeah, yeah, because like it's not like her songs 
are all about I did this, I did that, I did this. Of course there are some of those. Mm. Mm. But there are quite a lot of songs that aren't necessarily about, I mean, doing it's a great one, uh, Mrs. Fork and Mr. Mr. Knife. Mrs. Knife and Mr. Fork. Yep, apologies, yeah. I got that backwards. Um, you know, these are songs actually tell, I mean, and great stories. I mean, one of the, the things that Arthur does beautifully is, you know, in four lines you feel like you've just been given six paragraphs. Yeah. And... Yeah, I think, and I do feel that that's something that's quite, and, and like what you're saying with the play school thing. There's something very inclusive about that. You're singing about a thing rather than what that thing does to you as an individual, which allows the kid to then kind of feel like they're part of the whole thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the persona of Justine or, or Alex on their albums is they're a big kid. You know, they're not a grown-up. They're just a big kid. Um, and and they're in the kids' world and the kids can come into their world and feel safe and have a good time there. So Justine's probably, to be fair, has probably sewn up about 50%, 60% of the kids' market. What's the deal with Alex? He just won it all. Do you just want to come at both sides and own the whole thing? Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that your angle? Uh, Alex came to me one day and said, I really like those songs you have written for Justine and I'm toying with the idea of doing a kid's album myself and will you write me some songs? That's how that came about. And Persona, which is very different from Justine's, but he's very good on Play School and he's very popular and he, and he does the Play School live touring a lot and really enjoys it. Mm. So, and he's a good singer too. He's a very different singer from Justine. He's a much yeah, more he's, he's it sort did, of a it theatrical. Did me how different it was. Theatrical singer, and so it was a kind of a challenge for for himself, you know, mm. to sort of to do this. Um, so, and it took a long time to get to get those songs together yeah. for him. I mean, we with Justine, we're after three albums, we're quite um, – it's very familiar territory, whereas sure. with Alex it was like this is a different different thing, you know. I mean it's a man singing, which I'm not quite sure why that's what's so different about it that, is. but it is, but it it is, is different. different. You know, I mean, a song like The Brave Explorers on Alex's album, you wouldn't do with, mm. I mean, Justine wouldn't it wouldn't suit her to mm. sing that, whereas it does kind of suit mm. Alex, you know. So, Did you have a pile of songs where you're just like going, hmm, is this Justine, is this Alex? Or it was the same no, deal, you just no, constantly we wrote writing? No, we wrote the Alex ones from, from scratch. Mm. Um, we did, he did do two songs that were originally slated for Justine's Lullabies album but because Justine hadn't got round to sure. doing it. So that's um, When You Wake Up in My Little Bed. So he got those two which were written for Justine which, um, and he just really liked them. And, yeah, sure. well, and we needed a couple of slower, yep. you know, lullaby songs. Um, otherwise the rest of them, um, I can't remember where they came from. Um I actually remember you in this very room oh. telling me about a song idea that you had just the other day at this day when you were talking about it oh, almost okay. a year and a half ago. Right. And you read me uh, a couple of lines from the song you'd written the day before on the bus. And then I oh, heard on the, the bus. Yeah, then I oh, heard yeah. the Alex album and I went, I was there. I saw the original etchings. Yeah. That's kind of my my brief. Well, that was that was a, fame. That was a that was one it's of a great the, song. One it's of the few song. one of the few occasions when an idea of mine actually drove the song. Yeah, sure. Um, and it was literally on. It was on, it was getting the bus into play school, and there was this woman. <laughs> there was this woman um, talking on her phone. This is like seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And so she's talking, she's English, an English backpacker. There's a lot of them in Bondi. And 
she's talking to her mum back in Salford or something and saying, well, mum, no, I'm on my way to work. Yeah. So you're having a cup of tea then, are you? You're not watching telly in this horrible, loud voice that I'm going... And that was the inspiration for the, you know, the phone ringing on the bus. You know. Suddenly a phone rings. Hello? Can't talk now. I'm riding on the bus. Oh, that is one thing about writing children's songs is that tragically any situation I'm always looking for an idea yeah. for a song and so is Arthur you know we are always you know in the same way that probably someone like Paul Kelly is always looking yeah always has it in his mind that a a phrase he hears or mm. a situation he observes or a conversation he has or an image he sees is always open for that to be an idea for a song. With and me, it's kids, yeah. you know, and and it's especially hard because my kids are all grown up, and I'm not around three year olds anymore. But when I am, I'm going, come on, give us an idea for a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would you do right now if you were three? Yeah, um, I think you'd probably be surprised how much you and Paul Kelly have in common when it comes to getting um, inspiration from backpackers. It's probably no. uh, that's probably probably quite a lot. Now, you've been more than generous with your time, so I'll, I'll just have a couple more questions. One thing I did want to touch on, which you could probably fill, fill me in a little bit more, I want to just quickly touch base on your time back in New Zealand. Yeah. You worked, my understanding is you worked with a guy called Kim Foley briefly. Oh, Kim Foley, did you, yeah. did you, is, is how, how intimate was the relationship with him? Kim Fowley came to New Zealand in 1978, 79, I think, um, and got in touch with studios and record company people looking for acts. Hmm. And somebody gave him a tape of a band that I was in called Spats, and he liked the songs. Hmm. So he talked initially to... Fane Floors and Tony Backhouse, who were the songwriters in that band. Um, and and then he talked to record companies and studio managers and said, hey, these guys are real good, you know. We, we could do something with them, you know. And out of that process came this band called The Crocodiles. Yep. We would never have got together and recorded an album if it hadn't been for Kim Fowler. Oh, really? And there was one other band in New Zealand, a band called Street Talk, who were like a rootsy, bluesy band with a great songwriter called Hammond Gamble. Um, and they were the two acts that Fowley thought had some potential. Um, part of the deal with Fowley was he gave us some lyrics and we had to write, you know, he had to get a co-write on the album. That's just business. Um, and and but he was hilarious. He was very entertaining. Um, talked nonstop. Um, but he got he got it happening. I mean, it's such a typical thing, you know. It takes somebody from overseas to come to this part of the world and say, "These guys are good," mm. you know. Whereas the record company people at the time in New Zealand thought we were rubbish, Yeah, you know. The reason I bring him up is, and correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is he was also quite, he produced a, a kind of, a, a, for the lack of a better term, but a novelty songs as well. Was he oh, quite? yeah, he, he, he did um, They're Coming to Take Me Away, ha-ha. Oh, really? That's, okay. That's his song. I think it's safe he's, to say He's then. worked with all sorts of different, he started The Runaways, that all-girl band, The Runaways. I mean, he's a, he was a hustler, he was a mover and shaker and all mm. that, you know, those sort of cliches. Um, and he was a bit sort of mad, but he was he was a good guy, you know. Cause he, he was troubled, um, but he had an ear. So a music producer, what, troubled? I just don't know. <laughs> That's so completely foreign to me. I don't know what crazy country you grew up in. Um the reason, and again, because of the novelty thing, there's there's always been a bit of that that's kind of permeated through a lot of the stuff that you've done, the Underwater Melon Man. Yep. Also, I mean, most notably is uh, Meet the Feebles as well, yep. which I think you could say was a, a lot of tongue-in-cheek going on in yep. that film. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge part of what I've 
um, music for me well, is, is humour, um, novelties, sort of not really the right word, but I'm interested in humour in music. I like, um, I like the combination of humour and passion and trying to make the two work together because to my ears a lot of the best music has that. A lot of the Beatles, the Beatles music is full of humour. Mm. Um, you know, Frank Zappa, Eric Satie, Thelonious Monk, all my favourite mm. composers and musicians, humour is a, an essential part of what they do. And by humour I don't mean, you know, um, overt um, vaudeville kind of things. It's It can be subtle, you mm. know. I mean, yeah, there's it's, a lot of humour. It's honey pie, it's things like that. The, that the, have... the, there's a lot of humour in um, those songs we've written for Justine, well, this, for the kids and for the adults. And, and this is kind of what I was kind of pointing out. The thing about um, that kind of genre or that music is the novelty sort of thing is it's often accompanied by really – amazing musicians and musicianship because you draw mm. on so many genres because yep. the humour is going, it's a surf song and so let's get that really unique surf yeah. sound. The humour is, oh, this is really jazz, oh, this is really – and it's the thing about you and that's the thing about the Justine stuff and, and particularly just listening to um, uh, the songs I was mentioned before on Great Big World is your ability to really just pull on all these genres and do them – I mean, just do them like exactly yeah. how they would have been done if they were planted in the middle of the its original genre, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things there. One is that I've, I've always been interested in a lot of different kinds of music, you know. I mean, I grew up learning classical piano. I discovered the Beatles when I was 10 when they came to New Zealand in 1964. My dad had a huge wooden trunk full of jazz 78s so that's what i grew up with yeah. you know all music from everywhere and and in the later beatles stuff they would they would do everything you mm. know they they had brass bands and they had string quartets you know and so that seemed to me quite normal to do in 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 music is to is to just whatever genre you want to borrow from or steal from or or pay homage to, mm. why not, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's fun. I and, then getting, it's... and then getting musicians who can play that stuff and because the thing about humour is for it to be work, for it to work, it's got to be taken seriously. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know the best humour has a very serious base, base to it. Um, whether it's in the in the script writing or the performance or the arrangement or whatever. No, I do know what you mean. It's um, this has been awesome. Thank you very much for You're giving me your time. Just one last question. I mean, there's so much stuff I wanted to talk to. I mean, you work with Peter Jackson, Jenny Morris, and um, also the umbrellas and all the stuff you're doing at the moment. But I'm afraid people will just have to wiki your name and and go through it themselves. Um, one thing I do want to ask, though, like all musicians. Was there a moment? When did it start? When did you first find yourself going, this is, this is who I am? Um, I think it was when I was about 22, I'd, um, I'd done some travelling. I always listened to music and I always played a bit of piano. But I never joined a band when I was younger um, being a piano player, that's kind of hard, and I don't sing. You um, did have an outrageously scorching beard, though, no. back in those days. It <laughs> yeah. was pretty good. Yeah, as was the Hipster's fashion. Hipster's dream. Yes, it was come back. Should have kept it <laughs> in a jar or something to come out now. <laughs> um, and I, I, I was quite a shy person. I was quite sort of socially inept, I suppose, and... I didn't know, I didn't know how, how, what to do to 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 get into a band, you know. And anyway, I had this girlfriend at the time who said, "Put an ad in the in the newspaper." So I put this ad in the newspaper in Wellington. Um, 
and I remember the first bit of it said, reasonably sane piano player looking for a <laughs> band to join or something. And the phone rang hot. It was yeah. amazing. And Because anyway, you're the only one that wasn't totally insane <laughs> in Wellington. Anyway, after a few false starts, I finally met um, one of my long who person who was to become one of my long-term collaborators and friends, and that's a guy called Fane Flores, who's a musician and artist and filmmaker and painter and, you know, general renaissance man in New Zealand. And he played me some original songs of his, and I thought, this is amazing. This is someone who's writing their own songs in New Zealand, and they're really good, and I want to play them. And that was when... I sort of went, I've got to do this. Mm. I didn't realise at the time I was, it was a turning point. But really, all I wanted to do was play in a band and here was the opportunity to do it. So it came to me quite late. Um, and, and I made a couple of attempts after that to not play music. You know, like after touring... In a band for a couple of years, yeah, sure. you want you want to do something else. You need to leave. Everybody has to leave a band, you know, and have a holiday at some point. And I did that after the Crocodiles. Mm. This was 1981, and then I went. No, it's too early to retire. You know, I I do want to play music. I do want to keep going, mm. whatever it is. And that's when I came to Australia, and all my mates were over here. And then I just kept whatever's put. Whatever's turned up, I've done. You know, there's been no plan. Mm. Like, like I never went. I really want to be a film composer. I really want to be a children's songwriter. Mm. I really want to write music for television documentaries. I really mm. want to have a um, little chamber um, combo with jazz musicians, which is what my band, The Umbrellas, is. Yeah. It was never only one of those. It was just what was going to work at the time. You know. Yeah, sure. So when it like a the opportunity to write feature film scores came up well I did that mm. you know and then um, when the opportunity to write children's songs came up I did that yeah. just it's all been a sort of happy accident really yeah. and you know there's been a bit of good music and a few good songs out of it <laughs> yes well I guess on behalf of all parents in this country, we need I to apologise for watermelon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I guess we need to say thank you for not taking a holiday from it, and thank you deeply for never having a plan. Because <laughs> maybe none of this would have happened. Um, Peter, thanks very much for chatting thanks, with me Benny. today. Thanks, Benny. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like to hear more from Peter, simply go back to the start of this interview and listen again, or go to his Wikipedia page to find out all about him and his current act, The Umbrellas, who'll be touring a theatre near you very soon. Alternatively, you can tune in at any given time of the day on ABC and you'll probably find an episode of Play School. For more Parent Time goodness, visit www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me asking people questions. Yeah.